is a special episode giving a little bit of our background and how we come at these issues and flesh out a little bit more of what brings us to this project and why it's important to us. Yes, exactly. We've, we've put out a couple episodes already, but we think it'd be worthwhile to, to let you guys know where we come from, what our background is, that kind of stuff. So hence this, hence this special episode. We hope you enjoy it. So I thought it would be apt to start with just a little bit about your family, your background. Is your family political? If so, do they lean a certain way? What, how did that, how did that impact you growing up? Yeah, um, my family is political. Um, I was, I like to say I was raised a Democrat and became a Republican in college. Um, which is the opposite, I think, of how yeah. most college or what the stereotype is for college kids. Definitely. But yeah, uh, I was raised, we didn't talk about, I don't think, political issues per se all that much growing up. But, you know, there was always like MSNBC or CNN on around the house. So sure. I grew up watching Hardball with Chris Matthews, for example. <laughs> Talked a lot about like religious, like philosophical issues mm-hmm. um, with family, like my mom and I would bond over like talking about that stuff. Yeah. But it wasn't really very political. It wasn't until I went to college, I think that I started becoming actually interested in politics itself. So your family is political, but the discourse was, was fairly apolitical. Is that a good synopsis? Yeah, it was kind of, I think the left leaning politics was just kind of always in the background, but Got it wasn't it. something Got we it. like talked about. Wasn't super explicit. Tell me a little bit about your education. So your in the earlier years, what did your school have a certain affiliation? Any, yeah. Um, so I went to, I did my first two years ish at the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. Um, and that's known as, as a conservative school, probably the most conservative school in D.C. at least. Mm. But again, I wasn't really interested in politics really for my first couple years. Yeah. Um, I joined a fraternity, so I was pretty into that. And I really was just like into partying and that kind of stuff. Not, not too, not too interested in politics. Yeah. But around the time where I transferred, which was after my like fifth semester at Catholic, I transferred to John Cabot in Rome, which was obviously a lot of fun. It was in the transition between those two schools. I worked at a criminal defense law firm in, in DC, and then I transferred to Rome. And it was really the criminal defense experience that really got me into like politics and issues of state. Sure. So do you, do you think it, it informed you or it activated you? Well, I guess probably activated more than anything. I, when I first started going to Catholic, having been brought up, um, you know, more or less a Democrat, um, liking Obama, that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I was talking with my more conservative students and they shared views. I was not, I had not been exposed to. So I thought that was interesting. Sure. Um, but it wasn't until I kind of saw firsthand in the criminal justice perspective, the, I think disproportionate power the state has versus like mm-hmm. an average citizen that I was like, Oh wow, this is like actually a thing I should care about. And then it was after that that it got me like passionate about politics, and then I started researching a lot more, and then I kind of just decided I was a conservative based on what 
what opinions and beliefs I'd come to. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And how, how would you describe your political leanings? If you had to categorize it generally, what would that, what would that look like? Over the course of my life, I guess, I actually was more or less authoritarian going into Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of believed that like, you know, like people's individual choices, just being able to do whatever they want for selfish reasons, kind of just got in the way of, you know, the people that know more mm-hmm. um, making the right decision. Yeah. Um, over time, I, I, after working in criminal defense, I became a lot more libertarian because I saw what can happen when, you know, the people in charge don't make the right decision and we shouldn't, you know, assume that they're always going to make the right call or that they always have the best intentions. So I basically came to the conclusion that although I think people are more or less out for their own, out for their own interests, the best way to stop that from ruining the world basically is to limit the amount of damage each person can do. Um, and the best way to do that is to limit the size and power of government. So that got me into like libertarianism. And then I think over the past few years, I've leaned more conservative libertarian because I think there are a few things that libertarians, I think they don't understand certain things about human nature. Like there, there is some role for the state to play in, in like managing human affairs and, um, not directing people's morals or anything like that, but um, some sort of collective action problems that are yeah, and like public state. safety, for example. I mean, the right. the state's basic role is to protect people from each other and from outside forces. So we need some sort of a strong government. It just depends on what the purpose, I think, is. Got it. For that government. Got it. So if if you had to put a finger on maybe what your your highest values are be they freedom or truth or intentions. What, what, what do you think your highest values would be? Well, I guess truth, I mean, truth is kind of a loaded term, but you know, truth in the sense that people shouldn't lie is probably, probably number one and kind of a prerequisite, I think for everything else, because if, if you don't agree that lying is wrong, then it's just kind of all a power game anyway. But, you know, assuming people are not misleading each other and that kind of stuff, um, I think freedom is probably the biggest virtue, Mm -hmm. I think, and Mm -hmm. comes before everything else. Got it. So does it come before truth? No. Freedom and truth or truth and freedom? I don't think they're opposed, really. I mean, I think there there is objective truth mm-hmm. um well i guess i should i guess i should just ask what do you mean by truth what do you i mean it's it's your value what do you mean by truth i guess what i'm getting at is in all people there's a hierarchy of values if you if you could only have a limited number of values and a limited amount of each most people if they really interrogated themselves would likely be able to formulate a list where that includes rankings. And so I'm trying to ascertain what, what your, I think it would be valuable for the viewers to understand when you approach an issue, 
what are the values on the forefront of your mind and, and how do they relate with each other? Well, I think I can, I think I can answer it like this. I think truth is truth in the sense that objective, that there is such a thing as objective truth, like that there exists objective right and wrong, um, or just objective facts. Um, I would say is number one, probably, mm-hmm. but I don't think that that value gets called into question much. I mean, I've seen recently on Twitter of all places, this debate about, you know, does two plus two actually equal four? Is it just a social construct or something like that? And in, in that scenario, you know, truth, the idea of objective truth or objective fact comes into play and that's really important. But I think for most policy issues, the concept of, whether reality exists and is objectively there is not up for debate. Um, So in, in most, in those cases, which is most cases, I would say like for public policy issues, I would say that individual freedom against the encroaches of government is probably my greatest political value. And I think equality, equality before the law is is a good second. I believe that people should be treated equally by the government. I don't value too highly equality of outcome at all. Sure. So when you say freedom, is that it sounds like that's a negative freedom, as in yeah. freedom from something rather than freedom to something. Yes, correct. It's uh you know, negative freedoms would be like freedom of speech. So a negative okay. freedom is like anything if we go back to like political like philosophy in the state of nature, any, any freedom you have before there was a government. So in a state of nature, you have freedom of speech because you're able to say anything you want. Right. And you're able to, you know, have freedom of conscience. You're able to come to your own beliefs. Those freedoms I think are so vitally important to human nature. Um, and therefore to politics, positive freedom, the freedom like to healthcare, for example, I think, frankly, I don't think is very important. Although I suppose it depends on the context. But the issue I think with positive freedom is that usually it necessarily means that you're going to have to encroach on someone else's negative freedom to get there. So, for example, in the healthcare context, if I have a right to healthcare, that my freedom to healthcare implies that that the state is going to um, force someone else to provide me that healthcare. Right. Right. Um, so you see negative freedoms is more important because you can have positive freedoms inherently are going to get in the way of other negative freedoms is what you're saying. Yeah. And like everyone I think can have a claim to positive freedom and it's hard to adjudicate those claims. Yeah. And I think that, I think that probably the best case scenario is to, allow everyone to live their life to the fullest potential um, from what they can control. So the less interference with that, the better, I think. What's one social issue that you really care about? Um, Probably the biggest thing I care about is what's happening on college campuses. So, um, you know, ever since I transferred, I've been really passionate about the Title IX issue. Um, So for those of you who don't know, Title IX 
is a uh, federal law that prohibits discrimination in education on the basis of sex. But most college students know it as like the sexual assault law on campus. Um, so back in 2011, the Obama administration, long story short, basically required colleges to do away with a lot of what I think we would consider due process protection. So things like the right to a hearing, to see the evidence against you, to call witnesses and evidence, to appeal, uh, that kind of stuff. So th those protections were all kind of done away with um, and really turn it, uh, allegations on campus into kind of these weird, like medieval star chambers. Um, so I'm really passionate about that because, you know, it can ruin people's lives. Um, and they don't really have any protections. And I'm also interested in kind of like greater issues on campus, like the cultural, I think, uh, I would say the cultural argument against free speech I see on campus. So an emphasis on like hate speech um, policies and the student code of conduct. And what I see is the general trend for students not to publicly disagree with offensive views, but to go right to the administration and ask ask the speaker to be punished. Um, and I think that if that if that gets out into the mainstream culture, which I think it probably will, then I think we're in for a world of hurt um, in probably like 15 years or so if people don't change their views when they leave college. So I'm really mm -hmm. passionate about about college issues because I see it as a preview of what's to come. Got it. Got it. Well, that's 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 all I have for you. Well, good. Um, if if anyone has any like has any other questions or would like to be on the show, we can always engage more with that as well. But for now, let's turn it over to to Jonah. So I'm just going to ask you like mostly the same questions. Perfect. Tell me a little bit about your your background growing up and your exposure to politics. Sure. So. I am one of six. I have two brothers and one sister. We, it's very difficult to suss out how political we are because I don't have another family to compare it to. But I would say it's a fairly political family. Politics was definitely talked about at the dinner table, very much in the context of broader social issues. I my K through 12 school that I did the overwhelming majority of my education at had really heavy Quaker influences. And so that really played a role in terms of emphasizing charity and community work and social support. And yeah, so it's a fairly liberal, I'm from a fairly liberal family. And yeah, I would say that politics played a pretty preeminent role in my in my upbringing was there a particular event that really got you into uh, arguing about politics i don't i don't know i i've grappled with this a little bit i i know one of the m more formative events of my life was when i became an atheist that was a pretty it was it was my biggest and first like split from the mainstream and it, it's when i really started to question everything and really develop my my own thoughts and my own opinions that were truly authentic. 
And I think it really just expanded out from that point. And I think once it was, it was, it was such a massive shock to my system that I think it started to, it, it made me question everything else in my life. And that eventually le led to politics, which covers so much. There's so much under the umbrella of politics, so much to figure out there and distinctly a subject that I, I realized that a lot of people were blowing a lot of hot air around. And so once I realized that it was so central, so important, and yet there was not a lot of truth to be had. And it was something, it was definitely a way to engage with others and, and something that was really interesting for me. I think that just fueled my interest. Tell me a little bit about your, um, how your political beliefs have changed or evolved. Sure. Over the years. My beliefs, my, my gift and my curse is that I'm a bit of a contrarian. And, and so when I'm around certain belief systems, when I'm confronted with them, I often critique them. And, and so that is how oftentimes my ideas evolve. And so given that so much of my education and personal history has been really liberal centric, it, I've evolved a lot of critiques of modern liberalism. And so th that's changed. But also, I, I think our conversations in, in college were really formative in that I had been pretty isolated from any legitimate conser conservative opinions or positions you know, through college, which I, I think we would both agree is a serious shortcoming of collegiate in institutions that they don't need to advertise conservative positions, but to not display them in any significant way is really disadvantageous to students. Even if right. you have a liberal agenda, because if you don't, if you, if students aren't, if students become, don't become fam familiar with conservative ideas, they're never going to be able to, or, or they're going to be really thrown off when they finally encounter them and, and maybe they won't have any framework to process them through. So I think it was really important for me to have that perspective from you and, and realize that while I might still disagree with a lot of conservative positions. They're not absurd and they're not ridiculous and, and I can follow the logic behind them. And I think that even more spurred me to be an independent thinker because I realized that this entire political framework that I had been led to believe was a little bit idiotic actually, you know, had plenty of merit and maybe it came down to a difference in values. And so I think that additionally spurred my intellectual conquest. Well, I definitely think that makes a lot of sense and um, just respond a little bit. Yeah, I think that, I mean, ironically, when colleges don't expose their liberal students to the conservative views um, and only expose their conservative students to the liberal views, they're only helping the conservative students. No, absolutely. The liberal students are going to get out there and have not practiced, you know, arguing, arguing what they believe in. Yeah. And could be really seduced by ideas that are alluring on maybe the surface and are more complicated when you get deeper into them. But if you've never been exposed to an idea, 
it can be really easy to get swept up in it. And so for for a variety of reasons, like both from the position of being able to advocate your position and, uh, and understand what a conservative critique of, of your position might be and be able to respond to that cogently and coherently, that seems to be really missing. And and I, I find, I live in New York City right now and I consistently when I speak with liberals, especially people I would consider leftists, their positions are really vulnerable because as soon as I push a little bit, it sort of crumples. And, and I see that as a pretty widespread issue of that really comes down to people not having explored enough ideas, but also not really thinking for themselves. And so I think the, the two of those are pretty, pretty big issues. Well, as a resident conservative, I definitely have, I think, in my mind, a clear line on what and what defines a liberal and what defines a leftist. But how do you kind of split those those two groups? That's a really good question. I don't know if I have a really hard definition. I I think leftists, this this may have nothing to do with maybe the political science definition, but a liberal for me is someone who's very interested in in maybe the practical considerations. And that's why I consider myself a liberal. I, I care deeply about social equity and, and pushing for those positions the way I see best. And I see leftists as, as a lot more concerned with like grand narratives and, and language and, and things that for me feel a lot more r- removed from practical concerns. So Maybe that's not the correct distinction, but internally that's the distinction that I'm making. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, so we've kind of touched on this with your last answer, but what what would you say are your your hierarchy of values? I agree that most there's there's pretty wide consensus around the existence of objective truth, but I think there's a pretty big divide over what degree of access we have to that. And so a, a, a value of mine is that is the pursuit of truth. So even if you're not actually able to perfectly perceive truth, the, it's the journey that's really important and, and the effort that you put into it. So I'd say that's probably my highest value. And maybe my second value would be empathy in that I think if everyone took on an empathetic perspective, we would create a world where everyone's, well, most people are taken care of to the best of our ability. So I think those, those two would be my highest. Ironically, sometimes my pursuit of truth comes in direct conflict with maybe a greater broader desire for empathy. And what do you mean by that? Just sometimes people don't want to hear the truth or the truth hurts or the truth might make people upset. And and sometimes I prioritize that above maybe more immediate emotional concerns, which can definitely rub some people the wrong way. And yeah, I definitely understand that. Um, you know this, and I'm sure that some of our listeners 
might know this, but I'm I'm engaged. I've been dating the same girl for like five years, and I love to debate. She hates debating. So we've agreed <laughs> that we don't debate, we discuss. And there, there is a go. difference, you know? Yeah, there, um, definitely, there definitely is. But that actually got me thinking. What What do you think is the should be the line for when to have a debate or discussion and when to just like not engage because there definitely are scenarios where it's just like not worth your time yeah oh definitely i I think that's been i i used to to be sort of a a rambo-esque figure just going around starting fights with everybody regardless of whether or not they maybe were open to to discussion and Recently, I've gotten a lot of value out of just not engaging. So I'm not on social media, partially because I see these inflammatory posts that that, that people write, and I, I have this knee jerk to to say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Pump the brakes. That's not you know this is incorrect, and that's incorrect, and and that is misleading or misconstruing the facts." And so I've gotten a lot of value out of just choosing m- much more conservatively who to engage with and that really the deciding factor is whether or not I think they're open to genuine good faith dialogue and whether they're open to maybe changing their mind or learning something new and unfortunately I think there's a lot of people who aren't actually interested in maybe amending their their worldview or their position on a given subject and it's pretty easy to, or I've gotten pretty good at realizing that early on in a discussion, and that's fine. We can talk about something else, but I'm, I'm not really willing to work hard to get someone to understand my position if ultimately they're not really interested. Right. Yeah, and I agree with that too. Um, if you're talking with someone and they're not going to change their mind and they're not open to it, unless you're unless you're on a debate stage and yeah. trying to convince the audience. It's it's probably just not not worth your time. Yeah, no, there's there's definitely, unfortunately, there's a tyranny of the minority aspect on social media. That if if you're really agitated about an issue, people might not engage with you because it's just it's not worth getting into an extended debate. And so, oftentimes, some pretty wild opinions get unchallenged on social media because the moderates in the room are just not, they're not agitated enough to push back against that. And so it really allows some more radical perspectives to, to go unchallenged, obviously both on the left and the right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was just having a discussion with my family. We have this like this group text that, I'm the only conservative of my family. So usually like two or three on one all the time. Yeah, of course. We were talking about the recent, um, this, this episode was filmed or recorded. I think this is like what the day after the Jacob Blake shooting or something. like Yeah. That? Maybe, maybe, maybe two days. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I had seen this, um, and this is like what not to do, but I had seen this thing on Twitter, this allegation that he had a warrant, that Jacob Blake had a warrant out for his arrest for sexually assaulting a minor. Right, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so that wasn't true. Um, But I, like, passionately argued that. 
and then I ended up looking like a total idiot. Oof. Yeah. Got to check PolitiFact. I know, I know. And uh, yeah, so definitely research your claims. And like, you know, I, on Twitter, it was just getting amplified. It wasn't getting challenged at all. And I'm usually pretty good about checking yeah. things. But yeah, I mean, he did have a warrant out for sexual assault related yeah. to domestic abuse. Yeah, third, third degree, I think. Yeah. yeah, but it's not, that's not having to do with him. Right, uh, definitely. You know, so it's just like needless yeah. exaggeration. Um, yeah, I, I've i just found Twitter to be pretty heinous. I, I don't want to, I don't want to get too deep into this past issue, but I think what was really, unfor- what is really unfortunate is by the, by the time what actually happened became clear, the battle lines had already been drawn. Yeah. And, and so there was this, there was really no process of there, there's just no real intention around talking about what really happened and, and maybe how to reform it. It just, it just became people just fell into old routines, old, old battle lines. And it just, that doesn't seem really productive at all if you're looking for change. Yeah, I 100% agree. It seems like with every issue, um, there are just yeah. two established sides. Yeah, I, I read something recently that said, the, if you really want to make change, start start creating a narrative around an issue that no one's talking about yet because battle, dra- battle lines haven't been drawn yet, and so you can actually... You can, you can form them around... A really good poll before things get just hyper politicized. Yeah. Well, I think that's a that's a good segue into my last question. I guess it's a question for both of us. Um, mm. But what what do you hope for this podcast in terms of the effect or um, or just like you know having it? Yeah, I I think first and foremost I'm interested in learning. I, I hope to learn from you. I hope to learn from the guests that we plan on having. I hope to learn in the process of preparing for each podcast. And oftentimes, sometimes I learn from myself when I say things and I, I, it's formulated in a way that I hadn't anticipated. So that first and foremost, but I also hope it will just spread more widely and reinforce that people with opposing ideas can be civil and can engage with each other in a mutually beneficial way. That is, I think that would be really healthy for our society more broadly. I think one of the only places where, where liberals and conservatives, I think will hopefully have a productive discussion. I really hope it catches on and I really hope people um, start start doing that more in their daily lives because everything yeah. is so um, so energized with emotion I think yeah. a lot of the time that it's it's hard and we tend to, sure. want to stay away from politics and I think that you know I I think it was Socrates or Aristotle that said like um, like the height of man's I purpose think... is to be political or something like that you know mm. mm-hmm. you're using mm. all of your faculties of reason and yeah all of that um, so yeah, I hope to I hope to learn from you. I hope to ha- have my own beliefs challenged. 
Um, and I hope we can do that with our guests. I'm really looking forward to having the guests on whenever we start doing that. Check it.